0: It is a privilege to get to be with you, and I'm so excited that uh, Mr. Bryan told me that I can just be at home like I'm in Uganda, where I can preach for two hours that nobody minds. Uh, So, get ready! I'm just kidding, just just teasing. Um, Actually, I grew up in St. Albans. I didn't say that, so I am a a West Virginia boy. born and raised we live in st albans as well and and really it's been our our privilege what my wife said was right um going to going to uganda so many people will say things like oh i could never do that and we just look at them like oh no you have no idea no you could um it's a matter of, of of delight um because we received so much more from Uganda than what we had to offer. Like that is so true. We've been shaped and formed, forever impacted by the beauty of the body of Christ uh, in, in, in our little village of Kasana, Uganda. Um, just as you've been forever impacted by one another here in this place and in the other places that, that you have grown and as you've come together. And, um and so it's just, it's sweet. It's sweet to get to be with you because we love getting to experience the body of Christ around the world and around West Virginia. And, and guys, this, this place is special. And we're praying with you that, that the Lord in the days to come would bring a sweet uh, renewal of the gospel at work in the hearts and lives of people, just you know, flooding through you and those that he has put in this place um, to reach into the hills and the hollers, right? for his children. Um, New Hope Uganda, the, the ministry that we worked with, the, the theme verse for you know uh, from the beginning has been Psalm 68, 5 to 6. And, and it simply says, Father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Uh, Father to the fatherless. And, and there's nothing sweeter than watching men and women uh, profess Faith in Christ and be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I got to actually listen to Pastor Brian's sermon a few weeks back when he, you guys have been going through the Gospel of John, and I listened to the sermons on the new birth and, and loved it. That was so encouraging. There's just something beautiful about watching life come from death. And you, you know this 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 picture of the gospel that Jesus. Buried and raised, right? This picture of these dead hearts coming alive. It's incredible. There's, there's no greater privilege, right? To get to experience it and to get to see it in the lives of others and to see tribes and nations brought into the family of God. There's something that I love watching that is equal to that. And part of that is our ministry context over all of these years of working with orphans. I love watching God take orphans, spiritually or physically, children, men, women, and, and bring new life. And I love watching the fatherless come to discover God as their father. It's an incredible privilege. And, and I want to, uh, to to really build from this new birth uh, a picture that I hope is still in your minds as you've gone through John 3 into this, this, this new life unto uh, something, this unto the adoption that you and I have together in Christ. And I want to build on that uh, because really with after working with orphans for these 20 years, I, I just over and over again get captivated with the beauty of seeing hearts come to know God as their father. Our friend Ruby actually came to us not from Uganda, but from India. And so, you know, we worked with this 20-week ministry training school. And so we gathered Americans, we gathered 10, 15 different tribes from Uganda, uh, and then other nations would come and sit in this room, maybe 22 people, and and be confronted together and walk this journey of transformation and relationship in Christ. And so Ruby came, and when Ruby came from India, uh, Indian, uh, she knew Psalm 68, 5 and 6 was New Hope's theme verse. And when she came, she said that she actually was fearful of... God the father to the fatherless but part of her also longed for that fearful and longing and part of that is because of her relationship to her earthly father Uh, and I wonder for you what comes to mind when you hear the word father what does that stir in you because that's not just for fatherless children in Uganda or India Or somewhere in America, it's it's for us right here. It's for those of us seated in this room today. And today I really just want us to consider this question. Do I know and delight in God as my Father? As we think about that, and as you ask that question, as you ponder that, let's just pray together. Um, Father such a privilege to get to to call you that and to to gather as sons and daughters before our great God our great King Lord thank you for the things that you have worked in each one of us you know the stories represented here you know the heartaches and you know the joys Um, and Lord you uh, have worked new life into so many of these hearts and we pray that as we gather this day and as we look at your word uh, for this hour, uh, Lord, that, that it would be precious and that you would work in us what no man can work, that your spirit would uh, give us a fresh uh, longing to know you and to walk with you as our God and Father. And Lord, that the glories of, of your son would be precious and that the, the truths of the gospel would be fresh in our hearts this day pray that your word would be alive and that you would teach us we pray that for the glory of your name amen amen when Laura and I first moved uh, or first went to Uganda before we moved there it was 2002 and I was reading a book by a guy named Robert Peterson it was called adopted by God and um, as I read it I thought wow this is great stuff I was a student in Institute. I was being confronted by so many things. I was learning how to be a husband, getting a vision for what it would mean to be a father and and, and, and within family and even to see ministry as an outflow of healthy marriage and family. It was good. And that book was great. I remember just loving it. I would share things with, with Laura Beth. But it was like I was learning all of these truths about what it means to be adopted by God and I was learning them in my mind but I wasn't feeling them in my heart. And I, saw, I finished the book and I thought, well, that was great. And I put it down and I walked away from it. Like, okay, great. I wonder, have you ever had that happen to you? You know, you, you, get, you learn something and you're like, man, that was great. And you know it here, but it's like there's like a, a mile gap between the mind and the heart to get it down into here. It actually took me years, at least four, before those truths started to captivate me. You know, I... I, and as I think about what happened there, I mean, that actually happens to me pretty consistently, specifically with that verse that we, that we had read. It was, I love that we saw it up here, and I didn't tell Pastor Brian that I would even bring that into the sermon. But First John 3, 1, I mean, it just says it. You know, John writes in 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. You cannot read that in a melancholy voice. You can try, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called sons of God. Um, You can try it, but you know that that's not what John is doing as he writes it. I mean, John is writing it with emotion stirring in his heart. Behold, it's like he's calling us together. Look at this great love that the Father has given to us that we would be called sons, daughters of God. I want to begin as we move into just thinking about this gripping reality that we would be called sons and daughters of God. I want to begin with three introductory points. And and these three, just just by way of introduction, to kind of lead us into the rich truths of the gospel that God has for us this morning, and again, praying that the Spirit will stir our hearts to join John in that incredible declaration. Okay, now each of these three points could be their own sermon. And I don't have two hours. Um, All right, so I'm just going to highlight a few things just as foundation as we come into really into galatians 4 and that's where we're going to camp a little bit uh, together this morning okay so uh, if you take notes they're easy Uh, all right so number one all right point number one is that god is the creator king and father over all of humanity all right so how we view god is important it's important for how we relate to him when you picture god what comes Mind. Now, if I talk to someone outside, if you just stop somebody and said, Hey, describe God for me, they're gonna say something like, Yeah, you know, kind of a big guy, got a big white beard sitting on a throne somewhere. You know, you just get this image. What comes to mind when you picture God? All right, and we think about God as creator, um, and, and, and that's a beautiful picture because he is the creator, but without authority to rule as king. You kind of get, in, in Uganda, we have uh, the name of God is Katonda. And Katonda is creator God. But he's creator God. He creates the world, but he doesn't interact with the world. He's out there somewhere. But he's too busy to be involved in your daily lives. And so Katonda, creator, that's normal. Um, but if he's not also king, then, then, then you don't picture him with authority to rule, guiding, guiding. Ruling over all things, even your own life. Why would you submit to him if he's not king? Or if he's king to be revered, but not father to draw near to. And scripture gives us all these different images to know and understand and relate to God. Um, and none are more important than creator, king, and father. Okay? And we see this right from the Garden of Eden. Because in the garden, God creates Adam and Eve. He is their creator and he is their king. He defines life for them. He rules over them. We see him also as their father. And Genesis 1.27 says that God created Adam and Eve in his image. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? To be made in his image is to be made royal sons and daughters of the king who is father and and scripture itself kind of leads us there in fact if you look at Luke's gospel it traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to the garden where it reads Seth the son of Adam the son of God okay so Adam is God's son and he isn't he isn't birthed God creates him, right? He, God, the royal king, creates. And he creates Adam in his image. That language will be used in Genesis 5 to describe uh, Adam and Eve having sons and daughters in their image. right? There's this reflection of, of something that's, that's happening. And that's why Paul, to the Athenians in Acts 17, actually says this. As he's laying foundations to bridge the gospel in Acts 17, he says to them, "'As even some of your own poets have said, "'For we are indeed his, God's offspring.'" Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And he goes on in his argument, but it's just fascinating that even as he describes God, he describes God as the father of humanity. Right? So all of humanity, we, we owe our existence to God. Like that, We are accountable to him, all of us. All people were made by the God who is creator, king, king. And father that leads to our second introductory point okay number two we by nature reject God as king and father and by nature follow a usurping father Satan so that's the second point we by nature reject God as king and father and follow Satan Ephesians 2 says this you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of of disobedience all right so Paul's going to lay this foundation he's going to go on to talk about the glories of the grace of God in the gospel but to get there he's got to start with you were dead in your trespasses and sins all of us Right. Yes, you're alive, but we're, it's like you're the walking dead, because you're spiritually dead in sin, cut off from God. Uh, we've rebelled against God, who is our King and Father, and our Creator. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we by nature followed who? Who is the prince of the power of the air? That is Satan you're like, well, I didn't sign up to follow Satan, right? Nobody gave me a contract. I didn't choose it. No, we by nature do it. In our rebellion against God, we're by nature following the enemy of God. That's why in John 8, Jesus would actually say to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Not because Satan physically gave birth to them or even spiritually gave birth to them. He doesn't birth them. But they were by nature, or Jesus says, your will is to do the will of your father. Their desire is to do his desires. He is a usurping father. A slave-driving, counterfeit father. That's who Satan is. God alone is the true father. In fact, earthly fatherhood exists because of God's fatherhood. And that's our third just foundational point. So number three, earthly fatherhood was created to be a reflection of God's fatherhood. Stay with me. This is important. And that makes sense just based on creation, point one, right, that God has created and he is king and father over his creation that makes sense Um, but Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 and I'm I'm quote again I'm quoting scripture these are all big and beautiful chunks of scripture right go and read them Um, and in Ephesians 3 Paul is praying and he says this in verse 14 for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that term family, if you, my Bible actually has a, a footnote. It, the literal is the word fatherhood. This is why I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every fatherhood, right? Because it's the family is named through the Father. Through, uh, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. God didn't reveal himself as father because we have earthly fathers. God didn't sit and say, you know what, how can I communicate myself to people so they'll understand? Hey, they have fathers, I'll say I'm father. I actually used to think that's how it was, as I thought about it, it kind of made sense. That's wrong. We have earthly fatherhood because God is Father. Earthly fatherhood exists to image or picture the greater heavenly father. But there's a problem sin has distorted and corrupted earthly fatherhood. Some of us here today have had such traumatic experiences with earthly fathers. That even to talk about God as Father can feel like a stomach, you know, a gut punch. I've spoken in situations where it's just the word Father is so painful that people literally have, have had to get up and walk out lest they have a breakdown right, 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 in, that, right in this place over the years we've walked with hundreds of men and women and children who've had vastly different experiences with fatherhood from uganda uh, to right here in west virginia and the reality is that there are typically two responses to the concept of god as father because of our earthly fatherhood these two responses the first is where earthly fatherhood is so painful it's been so painful that God's fatherhood seems scary. Give me Jesus. I can relate to Jesus. But God the Father, mm, that doesn't, that's not safe. Our friend Ruby, that I talked about, when she came to us from India, her experience with her earthly father was so painful she was so wounded by him that she wanted nothing to do with god as father she was happy to draw near to jesus but the father wasn't safe in her growing up years she was also never able to please her earthly father never able to be good enough never able to perform well enough to get his approval or his love or his affection never once did he say i love you To his daughter though she longed to hear those words and she lived before god in much the same way trying to earn his approval trying to be good enough trying to earn his love but never feeling like she could in reality she was happy to relate to god as a slave or as a servant With no concept of what it meant to be a beloved daughter of God. I wonder if anyone here can relate to that, just in your own way, your own story. The second response is the opposite it's where earthly fatherhood has been good, so that God's fatherhood isn't needed. Why do I need God as Father when I have an earthly dad? And so God's fatherhood is theoretical in teaching. I hear it here. I affirm it as true. But it doesn't affect me on a heart level. And that was really me. When I read Peterson's book on adoption, it didn't strike me on a heart level, right? I, I knew it. This is, this is great. <laughs> I have a great dad. I love my dad. Um, As imperfect as he is, um, do I need God as Father? I grew up in a church that every Sunday we prayed. Maybe you did too. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. And you go on through the Lord's Prayer. Every Sunday, our Father, our Father, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. It was a title, it was a name that we used, but it didn't mean something. It was just God our Father, right? It's God the Father. It's God the Father. And the Christianese language, God the Father, was a title. It wasn't a relationship. I wonder if you relate to that. This is really where the gospel confronts us. It meets us in each of these sides and every place in between because the reality is that the eternal Son of the eternal Father took on flesh and was crucified and raised that we might be born again and given new life unto something incredible. And that is the idea in Galatians 4 where Paul wrote... If you look there with me in verse 4 but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of woman born under the law To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Before he wrote these words, up in chapter 3, he talked about everything imprisoned under sin in verse 22, so that the promise of faith, by faith in Christ Jesus, would be given to those who believe, right? And that's what we heard preached on the new birth. It's for all who believe. In verse 24, he wrote, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Did you hear that? Declared righteous. That Jesus would bear our sins on the cross so that that the punishment of God that we deserve would be taken by the Son of God. The Father's wrath poured out on the Son He loves. That we would be forgiven and justified by faith. What a gift the gospel has given to us. That God has declared for us. And it's in that light that He leads on down right into this passage. Again, just giving us gospel hope because it was in the fullness of time that God sent His Son. It's like all of time was moving for this purpose. The stars and the heavens aligned everything for this moment, the time's fullness that God will send His Son. Born of woman. And born under the law to redeem, to buy back those who were under the law, so that we might receive something. Receive what? Because God didn't save us, He didn't justify us, He didn't give us new birth and declare us righteous to make us like angels. And think about the status of an angel. It's pretty great status, right? I mean, you get to dwell in God's presence. You get to be his servant. You can come and go at his bidding. Like you get to enjoy, even declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. You get to worship. Wouldn't that be enough? It'd be enough. That's wonderful. That's glorious. But it's not enough. Because from the beginning, God had a plan. And the eternal son, the eternal father, and God who creates man and woman in his image as this royal son and daughter, as sin comes into the world, as as all things corrupted, this amazing plan that he has put into place, that he's had, was a plan to purchase and a plan to draw near a plan to take those who have rebelled and who have been slaves to sin and slaves to Satan and make them sons and daughters of God. And so he writes it to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And you can translate it sons and daughters. It's inclusive of both. That's who he's adopting. Sons and daughters. This isn't just something for the future. This is something for us right here, right now. Good father, terrible father, you were made by and for a greater father. To be united in Christ to be adopted into sonship and daughterhood. Ephesians 1 tells us that this adoption was something that was actually destined beforehand. It was predestined for us. Paul writes, In love, the Father, right? In love, God predestined us for adoption. if you're taking notes, that's Ephesians 1, 4. And this was according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, Christ, His Beloved Son. In the world of that day, if a family wanted to adopt a child, they had two options. One was to go and find a baby who had been abandoned, thrown out. And that was a common practice in the ancient world. The second way was to go and find a slave. Really a slave who didn't have hope of a life to come and actually purchase, actually go through a process of taking a child of a slave and saying, I want to make this child free and a part of family. And there was actually a process that they went through where you would go to court and the slave, the, the, the slave owner or master or, or father would come before the judge and they would actually pass the child. Three times, and there's there's a reason we don't need. To, it's a cultural thing, but this 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 process three times back and forth, and the third time, this child becomes legally the adopted son of this new father. You were a slave. All debts that this slave had, they're canceled, and this slave is brought into family and given the full right of sonship, and this. This formerly slave, now made a son, can now call this father, father. Father. You have the right to call father. And the right of inheritance, full right of sonship. And as Paul writes these words, Christ redeemed us that we would receive adoption as sons. In the great redemption, all debt is canceled. All sin has been paid for by Christ. He has taken our debt. He has borne our punishment. And he has set us free that we would also be adopted. And look what he writes in verse 6. Because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, into our hearts crying what can you say it what do you see there say it loudly abba father because your sons you've been adopted into family god has sent the spirit of his and notice he didn't say god sent the holy spirit crying out there's a reason God sent the Spirit of His Son into us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ into us, crying, Abba, Father. Where does that cry come from? Do you remember? Mark records it for us. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is actually facing the moment of His coming death, when He will be crucified for sinners And as Jesus is going through this torturous moment and he's praying, he actually prays and he addresses God and he calls out, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Mark leaves it. He doesn't translate it. Abba, Aramaic, Father, it keeps them together. Paul, as he writes here, drawing back, recognizing that God has sent this same Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit who cried out in the garden, Abba, Father, into us. Abba, Father. And there's debate, okay, what does Abba mean? How do you translate it? It's left in the Aramaic for a reason. Just cut right through it. Let's just, the heart of it. What is Abba? What is father? It's not the word that's used, it's the intimacy of the relationship that's conveyed. Does that make sense? For example, the word daddy. Daddy can, in our English ears, have a sense of intimacy, right? It's a very familiar term. You wouldn't just say daddy to anyone. When I think of daddy, or my, my children call me papa, right? That's intimate for me. But for others, that word can, can be used and have no intimacy. You think of, of uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory in Veruca, right? Daddy, I want a pony, right? Daddy, I want it now, right? Daddy, right? there's no intimacy. She's snotty. She has no love relationship with her father. There's distance and he just spoils It, it there's no intimacy there so daddy daddy i mean it's not the word it's the intimacy of the relationship being conveyed and as jesus is in the garden jesus who's one with his father from eternity in this moment cries out abba father and it's that spirit the spirit of christ in us crying out what abba father If you're in Christ, his spirit within you is crying out, Abba, Father. Because his spirit is in you. You are brought into relationship with the Father. We were made to know the love of the Father. And we were made to know and love the Father. And his spirit is in us crying out, Daddy, Father, Father. Papa in Luganda, we say Tata. Whatever conveys intimacy, whatever word for you is intimate, that's the word being cried out. There's a parallel passage to Galatians 4, and we, I think we read it or heard it from Romans 8. Paul actually says in verse 15 that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you received the spirit of adoption. I love that. Now the Holy Spirit, Paul calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. That's awesome. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you see the difference? In Galatians 4, The Spirit is crying out within us, Abba Father, right? In Romans 8, we cry out by the Spirit, Abba Father. You say, wait a minute. I could never address God that way. I just want you to ask yourself why. He's king. I'm good. I want reverence. We want to revere God. And I hear that. Say, yes, we revere Him. He is the holy, omnipotent God. We should bow down before Him. Our God is a consuming fire, but not in a way that pushes us to run. Because in Christ the gospel says, Come near. Abba, Father. You are invited into the great privilege of sonship. Do not spurn that privilege. Embrace that privilege. Delight in that privilege. Grow in that privilege. Because you can call God, Abba, Father, by His Spirit. You're invited to draw near to the father, no matter what your relationship was with your earthly father. Wonderful, so that you think you don't need him. Terrible, so that you don't want to get anywhere near. Give me king, that's good enough. Both of those. He cuts through it and he says, draw near. Know me as father, because you are my beloved daughter and you are my beloved son, my friend Ruby longed to hear these words. She longed to know that God was delighted with her just because she's his. She couldn't believe these truths. She sat in our room as we talked about these passages and just like, how can this be? Can this be? I hear it here. She wrote me a note. She said, can I come talk to you? I was like, Yeah come on she came and sat with Laura Beth and I um, sat on on her side porch beautiful fruit trees outside and the birds chirping like they do there Um, she was just telling us I just can't believe this it just feels so foreign to my heart and as she's explaining all of these things and as Laura and I are talking it's like the Lord just dropped something right into my little 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 head And I just said, Ruby, have you ever been hugged by a man in a way that doesn't feel gross? (laughs) She's like, no, I was hugged by my uncle once and I didn't like it. And I was like, Ruby, can I hug you? She looks at me, her eyes get big, you know, and she goes, okay. So Laura's here, Ruby's here, I pulled her chair up. I just put my arms around her. She was just like, hmm. <laughs> I, took, I took her arm, I lifted it, all right? This is how you hug, Ruby, this is how you hug. And I hugged her, and I just embraced her. And she just started weeping. We started crying. Just a hug. But that was a significant moment for her, because God's fatherhood, became tangible through a broken, earthly father, in Christ, purely loving a sister as a daughter, just saying, can I just hug you? That began a journey for her to understand the love of the father. And that was transformational. Um, (laughs) There's more to Ruby's story because through that she was able to begin to forgive her father. God actually set it up so that when she went back to India, he was on a sickbed, and she nursed him and cared for him in in, in a freedom of heart she had never had. And she actually heard those words, I love you. Because she she told her, Dad, Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. And God allowed a healing there for a man who you never thought possible. And that's not everybody's story. Everybody has a different story. Sometimes you don't get that. But what sets the heart free is the love of the Father. That God has come and he's done what we could not do. And he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And in verse 7, he says, So you are no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. And if you're a son, you're an heir through God. You have an inheritance. It is secure. you have something greater that is lasting. Whether you've had a terrible father or a wonderful father, whether you're sitting here and there's still that disconnect, that's okay. Because as I shared these stories and, uh, with my wife, as God began to stir these truths into my own heart, as God began to make known the love of the Father to me, I remember one day she was just like, I hear you, Keith, but I just don't feel it. <laughs> I just don't feel it. I'm like, that's okay, babe. That's okay. Do you believe it's true? Yes. Then just, this is the hope and the truth of the gospel. Just keep, just keep believing. Keep doing it. And over the next five, six, seven, eight months, it's like these truths became alive in her. Do you remember that? It was precious. And we've gotten to grow in them and walk in them together and we've gotten to then image the heavenly father and the love of the father to many um, fatherless sons and daughters children men and women and adults over the years and that's something precious because the world can't counterfeit that there's nowhere else these things are possible outside of the grace of God in the gospel and yet many of us grow up relating to God as servants, slaves, trying trying to please, trying to do, right, driven by guilt, motivated in the wrong way, as opposed to hearts that are set free, that you are loved, and out of that love, you can proclaim like John, see what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we would be called sons of God. And so we labor before our King and our Father out of love and joy. Knowing that we are His and He will not let us go. What kind of Father is God like? And I'll end with this. This is really the sort of the last piece that I want to put in place for us. Because you hear me talk about God as Father, but what does it mean? What does that look like? How should you expect Him to act if all you've known is earthly fatherhood or a distant God Father somewhere there? How should you think of him? How do you grow in relationship with him? I want you to think about all of the the negative experiences you had with earthly fatherhood, right? Maybe your earthly father was distant. Or maybe when he was present, he wasn't present, right? He was paying bills or or busy or or in, in these days connected to the online world, right? Present but not present. Maybe he wasn't present at all. Maybe he was abusive, maybe he didn't work hard to provide, maybe he didn't pursue you in relationship. think all the things, all the disappointments, if you just write them all out, that's not what God's like. And that's called contrast, right? We get to know what God is like, sometimes by contrast, this isn't him, and sometimes it's by comparison. Every good thing that you can think of, that you loved about your earthly father, write it all down, that's great. That's a shadowed image of something much greater. Because any good in earthly fatherhood is an image in comparison, a a small picture of what he is like. He is relational. He does pursue. He doesn't leave you. And suddenly you just start having scripture wash over your mind. Because if you want to see what kind of father God is like, this is where you look. Because Jesus comes and reveals the father Read John 14, it's incredible. Philip says, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like as Father, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is compassion, Jesus is mercy, Jesus is truth, just start walking through it. That's what the Father's like. Jesus is the image of the everlasting Father. He reveals him to us. And we draw near to the Father through Christ. And you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to who? To the Father. Except by me. I'm the way to the Father. Jesus unveils the Father for us. Do you know and delight in God as your father. Indeed, he is our Abba father. We want to live as a people in love with our our God, father, son, and the spirit. We wanna live as a people who can also draw others into relationship with the father because we live in a culture filled with fatherlessness. We worked among the fatherless in Uganda, and I'm telling you, and you know this, Appalachia is filled with fatherlessness, because to be an orphan actually isn't to lose two parents. Biblical orphan is is literally fatherless, and we live in a fatherless age, which plays right into our struggle with manhood and womanhood and all of the things that come with it. It, It's all part of a big package, and the, the, the culture we live in desperately needs a people who know the Father. And who can bring that fatherhood to the fatherless. We want to walk in that. And we want to be a people who can proclaim together with John. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the great hope of the gospel that proclaims the truths of what you've done. Incredible truths. So much more incredible than we can fathom. That you would save us and then draw us near. Give us the right of sonship, daughterhood in your family. That we can know you and walk with you. Lord, that you would work in us and through us what is pleasing in your sight. Would you stir in us, God? Make us a people free and delighting in the great hope before us. Lord, I pray for your work amongst this family, that these brothers and sisters would be drawn in such unity and oneness in Christ that this family would not be torn down or divided, but built up and multiplied as they live out the gospel in their families and in these communities. Lord, I pray that many who are fatherless would come to know you as father. Thank you for the great truths of Christ and your word this day. Amen.